Daisy. And I'm Terry. And this is the Monday Monday Mindset Mindset Podcast, where we share things of interest to us and hopefully to you. So let's get started with episode number 16. This week, it's Terry's turn to share something that she's found of interest. What have you got for us this week, Terry? Well, Daisy, this comes from an episode of one of my favorite podcasts that I've brought before, and that is The School of Greatness with Lewis Howes. And his guest was a woman named Sion Bylock, who is the president of um, Barnard at Columbia. And she also is a psychologist who studies performance and how we respond under pressure. So this episode was called How to Stop Choking Under Pressure. And actually, it's based on a book that she has written. I found this really interesting and maybe in the context of current situation with COVID and everyone being kind of in, you know, social isolation and things, maybe some of these performance pieces aren't as prevalent. But I think this is a kind of universal theme that many of us can relate to of when we feel under pressure, uh, that sense of choking. And she refers to this is when you produce a worse performance than expected based on ability. And some people think that either you're someone who chokes or you're someone who thrives. And one of the things she said is that it's not really a trait and that we tend to choke when we feel under pressure. Lewis Howes, the host of the podcast, he talked about someone quoting this, that really there is no such thing as pressure except that which we create and so that we actually put the pressure on ourselves. So she talked about why we choke, because oftentimes people are quite competent, they have good ability, they have good skill, and yet they choke in what feels like a high-pressure situation. So you might think about a situation where you might fear judgment of other people, or where there are consequences that you want to avoid based on the outcome of this performance And she said that the thing that gets in the way for us is that when we respond to that pressure, we tend to hyper fixate on the outcome and the steps or details of what we're doing. And that by thinking too much about it, we actually interfere with our ability to carry out the action. Because when we get good at something, it often happens beyond our level of awareness or consciousness. And this is a good thing. Mm. We just have the skill and learned ability and practice of doing it, and we can do it well. But when we're responding to that fear or that pressure, we focus so much on it that we break down the details of it. And one of the examples she uses is when... Let's say, for example, if you were to walk down a set of stairs and someone said to you, okay, Daisy, tell me what you do with your knee, that something you do so naturally, like walking down the stairs, would actually become difficult because you don't generally focus on what your knee is doing while you're walking down the steps. Mm. And so you might even fall down the steps when you do this. And it reminded me of a time, my friend and I used to laugh a lot about this one, but In my 20s, I was a teacher and I was on a bowling league. 
Yes, we had a teacher bowling league. (laughs) And I was not a very skilled bowler. One year, I actually got the most improved bowler. And it's not because I was doing so well. It's that I started out with such a low low average. But one day, we were talking about some specifics about it, how you bowl. You know, some people take a certain number of steps, and some people take this many steps, and whether you start with your left foot or your right foot. So I got up to bowl my next turn, and I couldn't. Like, I just, I stood there holding the ball up ready. And it was as if super glue had been put on the soles <laughs> of my bowling shoes. I could not move. And I turned around and I said, I can't do it. And we both laughed. I think it was the same night of bowling where I went up for another turn and I started my however many steps and tried to figure out which foot to start with. And in the middle of it, when I drew my arm back, I dropped the ball behind me and it rolled the opposite direction. (laughs) So again, although I was not a highly skilled bowler, it was something that I, you know, we learned to do kind of intuitively, but because I started to think about the actual Mm. details of it, I couldn't perform it. So I think one, for me listening to this, this was actually one of those episodes that's a little different than some that you and I have shared in that the kind of what to do about it and the what is the issue was actually kind of concise. So it it wasn't pages and pages of notes that I was taking on this one. The two of them then talked about how this happens for people and, and what we can do about it. One of the things she talks about is working on changing our narrative about the outcome of an event. Sometimes we get in the habit of asking what ifs. What if I do this? What if I don't get the job? So let's say the performance is a job interview. If we start going through those what ifs, what if I don't say the right answers? What if I don't get the job? And that again, this negative pre-thinking can really interfere for us. And instead, if we change our narrative and focus on why we should succeed rather than what could go wrong, if we think about, I have great experience for this job, I have an ability to communicate my knowledge, that kind of changing that way of looking at it can actually help us perform better under pressure. Another example she talked about, and it may sound a little odd, It's using the framework of how you would talk to a good friend in this situation. So if a good friend were going into the national championship in their sport, you probably would not say to them, hey, Joe, listen, you've been having a really hard time lately with your dismount on this floor routine you're doing. So today, let's just try and get through the dismount, not screw it up the way you have been (laughs) and see how you do. You wouldn't talk to Joe that way, but instead you would be more positive. And so the idea of talking to yourself with this positive reframing and talking to yourself in third person. So for you to say, okay, Daisy, you know what you're doing. You have everything you need to do this. You've practiced it. You've been doing really well with your practicing. You can do this. That that positive self-talk, even using the third person, is a helpful way to frame that and can help. And then the other piece is there's science to really support the benefit of visualizing ourselves performing something as well as physically practicing it. 
and they referred to a study where I think it was basketball teams or basketball players, and they had them, some were practicing shooting perfect free throws, and some were just mentally practicing it. And what she said that science really shows is either the visualizing or the physically practicing had about the same benefit, but the combination of the two actually has the best outcome. So visualizing yourself performing whatever it is and also practicing it. I think the big thing that I took away from this interview about the practicing that is so important is that oftentimes we don't practice things under the same condition in which they're going to occur. Mm. And there's actually benefit to doing that. So I'm going to go back to the example of the basketball example. If shooting the last free throw at the end of the game, that's a high pressure situation. A lot of, you know, everyone's watching, outcome of the game is counting on this. But if I just practice it in my backyard every day, it's not the same experience. I'm not training my body to perform this under pressure. And so although we can't often create the exact scenario doing something similar. So if you were preparing for a job interview, rather than just reading questions in your mind and thinking about how you would answer them, to actually do a mock interview, have someone interview you, put on your business attire and go practice doing the interview. So again, you're approximating the conditions under which it's really going to take place. Lewis Howes is an athlete, and he talked about an example, and I was kind of tickled by this part of the interview because at one point he was attending Capital University, which is in the town where I used to live, Columbus, Ohio. And on this small campus, the Ohio State University football team came to practice on their practice fields because something was being done with their fields. And that weekend, the team had a big rivalry game. And it was an away game. And so they knew the crowd was going to be loud and it was going to be against them. And so while they were practicing that week, they had loudspeakers making a lot of noise and booing and distracting noises. Hmm. Again, to approximate Mm. the actual environment under which they were going to need to perform on Saturday. So to normalize that pressured environment. Absolutely. Because otherwise we get used to the environment in which we practice it, which is fairly low pressure. And then we get in this higher pressure situation and we don't have a frame for that. Yeah, I do remember listening to this episode actually. And doesn't she share her own story where I forget what sport she played now, but she was an athlete of some kind, wasn't she? And I remember her telling the story that, you know, she performed perfectly, but the time when she knew it was either a coach or a scout was Mm -hmm. standing behind her and watching her and she just fell to pieces. Yes. And so again, that pressure. Yes. And again, the perceived importance of the outcome of this game, of this performance, of this interview, that creates that pressure that we then put on ourselves. And so really working to practice with the concept of pressure, again, as I said, kind of creating as similar an environment. It might even mean in this example, every time you practice, 
pretend you have the national coach watching over your shoulder of how you're doing it so that you get used to that feeling so that it's not a surprise to you when that person shows up. I think that's the thing that's different, isn't it? That's certainly something that I struggle with, really struggle with the confidence, weirdly, of doing a podcast. But when the tables are turned and it's me who's in the hot seat, and I can remember a recent one I did, and I really prepared for it. You know, I knew the kind of questions they were going to be asking me, and I practiced it. But I didn't practice it in the right environment. And that's so interesting. And it's so obvious, really, when you think about it. Mm-hmm. That's really what you need to prepare is to practice in as similar as you can get it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's difficult to replicate it completely, but as similar as you can is the kind of pressured environment that you're going to be performing in. Mm-hmm. And that practice, you know, the old adage, practice makes perfect. But practice in a similarly stressful environment <laughs> makes perfect. And then it seemed to remember them talking about just allowing that flow, allowing instinct to take over mm-hmm. and controlling that, trying to overthink it, not overthinking it, mm-hmm. just just letting letting yourself be able to do it. Mm-hmm. Like I said, you were saying before about that self-talk, you know you can do this and just letting go and letting instinct take over and letting it flow. Rather than analyzing the little steps mm. where you're then going to trip yourself up because you normally do it more instinctively. And Daisy, she talked about, obviously, we can't totally replicate the situation. You know, you can't practice every time with that national coach standing over your shoulder. Mm. But our brain has the ability to translate learning. So even, again, I keep using this word, but I think it's really important here, the approximation of it. If I'm practicing a big talk I have to give, but I'm only practicing it silently in my head while I'm laying on the couch, there's nothing about that that's similar to the environment in which I'm actually going to be giving the talk. And so even though we can't totally recreate it, getting as close to it as possible is really important to help us make this transition. Yeah, I mean, there's something in that, just that sort of muscle memory, isn't there? So even pretending you're, so even just standing up and practicing it out loud you're going to the front of your room and turning around and imagining there are people mm-hmm. in front of you. There are, you say that, approximation. Mm-hmm. All these things will help more than just reading it in your head on the couch. Absolutely. Mm. And another thing you just mentioned kind of when you're in the flow and you're not thinking about the details, she pointed out a kind of humorous example, but it's a way that let's say you're playing golf with someone that you could actually influence their golf game to maybe take a turn for the worse by when they come back to the cart to say, or when they're going out for their next shot to say, now, what do you do with your right elbow when you take that shot? (laughs) Because now they're going to be focusing on that again, versus something they just do intuitively. And it, it has more ability or more potential to interfere with their natural 
The other thing that I really liked about this interview, I know a lot of our listeners, you know, there are things from these episodes that pertain to them, but a number of people in our listener group also have kids and other people in their lives that, you know, they affect with these things. So I think one of the highlights she talked about is when you're giving feedback to focus on effort and process rather than talent. Because if you're focusing just on the talent and you're, you know, reinforcing that, yeah, you're really good at this game. Are you really good at taking these tests? What happens when they struggle with it? That really the better approach is to really be rewarding through your way of talking with them, their effort and the process they use so that when they run into an obstacle, it doesn't suddenly mean, okay, now you just don't have the talent. You're never going to succeed. She used an example, her daughter about something in school, I think, you know, said, no, I just got it. And she tried to affirm and say, no, actually you studied for this and you learned it on purpose. Again, to not just have her daughter think you either have it or you don't versus Mm. no, the process of achieving this was what really matters. I don't know if you remember then, since you said you heard the episode. So this part was interesting, all about this choking in pressure situations. But then just listening to a little more of their discussion about other things. Like, so this, she was an athlete, she was a psychologist, and then she went on to become the president of a, you know, a prestigious school. A lot of pressure there. And so they just talked about other kind of thoughts about things. And she talked about the idea that oftentimes when we're in a stressful situation, that we're not actually listening. Again, to me, it was like, this is a whole nother topic, but something so important. And she said, you know, think about doctors when they're in a high stress situation, they don't hear each other. They don't hear what the nurse said, or because of the amount of stress, or, you know, if you picture yourself, you're at a party and you're meeting someone who's important two minutes later, you don't remember their name Mm. because you just weren't listening. It's not that you weren't trying to, but the stress or the other things you were focused on prevented you from listening. So I think that's a a little takeaway for me, again, from the side conversation. And also the idea that these times of pressure and being on the spot. So let's say you give a talk and afterward people have questions to kind of question what you've just presented. And it's easy, I think, going back to our topic of defensiveness, it's easy to feel defensive and respond in a defensive way. And she really highlighted this is where we can grow the most. So being questions or being challenged actually allows us to reflect on why we say what we say and Mm. think about how else we might be able to explain it. And so it can actually help us to um, learn more rather than than just defend. So for me, this episode had lots of great things about choking under pressure, but also just about some kind of life, little life lessons that I enjoyed reminders too. I seem to remember also being very taken with what she had to say about, I assume it was this episode because I'm sure it was about Barnard is where she currently works, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And what they were saying about 
it's a women's college, is that right? Mm -hmm. And I can remember her talking about the intake and how it's completely different from all other universities. Isn't it? They have funding, so they have the process of intake is completely based on merit, I believe. Mm -hmm. And it's done completely blind as well with the applications. So there's no financial requirement. Mm -hmm. You get in based on your merit. And if you need the funding, it's there for you. So uh, along those lines, yes. I, was, I was just very taken with the ethos mm -hmm. of the university. And I think she also spoke a bit about the kind of techniques, the teaching and the learning techniques they use. Mm -hmm. They very much, she seemed to be all about getting her students to think for themselves. Mm -hmm. And even her interactions with the faculty, she talked a little bit about that, at least when she started, met with each one of them to learn about how they teach and, and what their approach is. Like, I don't remember, it's like 450 faculty members, but really took the time to get to know what the experience there was as a student. And going back to the admission process, I thought this was fascinating too. Whatever year she was talking about, they had over 9,000 applicants for mm. 600 positions. So it's mm. very competitive, very, you know, highly competitive program for women who will be leaders and doing great things in their future as well. So very fascinating woman to listen to. Yeah, very inspirational. And creating the, the next generation of thought leaders. Yeah. Well, the big takeaway for me is the practicing in the right environment. <laughs> mm -hmm. Because I've always known about the practicing part of it, but it makes complete sense to add that pressure element. And I can see how that would work. And it's, it's something I kind of intuitively started thinking about. I, I discussed this awful <laughs> interview from hell. I have a couple of people have actually listened to it and apparently it wasn't quite as bad as I remembered it, but <laughs> I refused to listen to it. But one of the suggestions was, you know, practicing by doing maybe some things like Facebook lives and things like that is it, trying to replicate as much as possible mm -hmm. the environment and just doing more and more and more. And, and it's true, isn't it? Anything that's difficult to do the more you do it, it does become easier. Absolutely. So that's what I'll be taking away. <laughs> Great. Practice under pressure. Yeah. Well, I hope everyone is able to apply some of what we've talked about today in their own lives and that you all have a great week. Have a great week. Mm -hmm.